0: Hello and welcome to Rocket Accelerated Geek Conversation. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace and Miro. I'm Simone de Rochefort, Senior Video Producer at Polygon, and I'm here with Brianna Wu, Game Developer, and Christina Warren, Senior Cloud Advocate at Microsoft.
1: How are we doing? Well, uh, I, I'm, I'm here from the, the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone, uh, reporting for Judy. Oh my god!
0: So you've officially like seceded from the city. Uh,
1: well, the neighborhood has sort of. It's I, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm like right on the cusp. Like depending on how the flag, like the map is drawn, I'm like either in it or just <laughs> on the outskirts. Uh, I am in Capitol Hill, but uh, but it, it doesn't encompass the whole thing. But yeah, I mean, apparently we have decided to just you know uh, secede from the city. That's, 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 uh, where I am right now.
2: Yep. You haven't seen any explosives lately and by explosives, I mean, candles like you're safe. <laughs> oh right?
1: yeah. No, uh, fortunately the, the candles slash explosives. So for, for listeners, the Seattle police department decided to, uh, uh say, uh, to, to, post pictures on the internet and say that, that explosives were, were being, um, uh, you know, uh, uh like, thrown at them or whatever, and that they were in danger, and that's why they had to violate what the mayor had promised that they wouldn't be using tear gas with the the photo was of, like, small candles, like, the type that you would, you know, have at mass. Like, yeah,
2: come on. Uh, That's pretty stupid. Before we uh, start the show today, uh, I just wanted to say something to all of our listeners. Uh, It's Wednesday when we're recording this. Uh, J.K. Rowling's blog came out. Um, Everybody... Here on the show today, we are disgusted by it. Our stomachs are churning, reading sucks it. Butt. and I just want anyone out there, if you're trans, I just want to know, we see you, we see your humanity. Um, this is disgusting, and i'm I'm very sorry you're having to endure this trauma when there's already so much trauma you're asked to endure on a daily basis so we see you and i just wanted to start the
3: show saying that thank you
0: all right let's get into i swear this week's gonna be a bit less fiery than last week but (laughs) i don't know we haven't recorded the end of it yet so who knows we might get there uh first off let me tell you WWDC has been scheduled for the week of June 22nd, and uh, the rumor klaxon is sounding. Oh, the rumors are here. Uh, And they're kind of old rumors, but (laughs) the streets are saying that Apple is going to announce at this WWDC its shift to its uh, proprietary processors in Mac computers to replace the current Intel chips. Uh, these new processors would be based on the same tech that's in the iPhone and the iPad, and it will be the first time, theoretically, allegedly, that Mac would or that Apple would have its own processors in the Mac. Is it going to finally happen? Yeah, I,
1: I am. So, th- a report like this, it would be very. Strange if this were false, especially since these rumors, from a supply chain standpoint, have been coming out for a long time. And when we talk about making the processors, what we mean is you might see like they're making their ARM chips; they're using the ARM instruction set. So rather than being compatible with with current uh, Intel chips, which you know can run um, x86 uh, software, um, they would be more akin to the sorts of processors that, as as um, Simone said, are in the iPhone or iPad, which in single core scores can surpass some of the Intel chips they also uh, are are more power um efficient and so you can potentially get much longer battery life so these rumors have been around for a couple of years and I'm I'm feeling like this is this is pretty much going to happen. I think the big question that everyone has and what the unclear point is is that when Apple does this transition and and they've actually done this transition twice before, uh, most recently in, in 20, 2005, they switched from uh, IBM's PowerPC um, architecture to the Intel um, chips. Uh, but um, the big question is if they do this. What does that mean for existing Mac applications, both uh, c- backward compatibility, but also what does that do to how people use the Mac and how people build Mac apps? I think that's the, the question mark. And then I have a secondary question mark, which is since they just released the you know, $10,000 Mac Pro, yeah. is this something where they, it would be an iterative strategy? Or is this something where the ultimate goal is to get to a place where, if it says mac os it's going to be running on a chip that is designed by apple that that I think is is uh remains to be seen
2: yeah there's 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 a lot to pick apart here, and i I feel like people that are not developers are going you know point to apple's move from cocoa to carbon or you know vice versa um or you know. You know, the more recent move of deprecating 32 Bit apps on uh Mac OS, which I'm still having problems with every single day. Um, this is uh it's 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 gonna be a cluster F, right? Like there's just no way around it. Like there were Mac pros that cost what was it, fifty thousand yeah. dollars? Are you asking those people? Running really high-end Maya to just accept that that's going to be deprecated. I mean, do you really think Autodesk is going to start when they barely support Mac as it is that they're going to support ARM and Intel simultaneously? I mean, there's yeah. Renee was talking. Renee uh, Richie, friend of the show, he was talking about this on Twitter, and he was he was talking about it from a consumer point of view, and I I I do think for consumers. As he said, it's not going to be that big a deal because most people run Safari, Mail, a couple of apps from the App Store. It's not going to be there for them. But what what really gets me, Christina, is I I think what are their reasons for doing this? Um, The first is cost for them cost yeah their, i mean
1: i mean well potentially although uh, their chips aren't cheap i right. i don't i think it's about vertical integration frankly
2: i i think it's about that according to the report uh apple's uh this could reduce their uh processor cost by between 40 and 50% um so that's a reason but battery life is really the big yeah. one and for me um i i i swear i am using my ipad with the magic keyboard so much it is ridiculous like it's by far my main device and i i just feel like if you're wanting an arm processor with ultra strong battery life where apps are really really controlled we have that it's ipad os um so i'm just uh, i'm i'm genuinely terrified this is going to be the the death of the creative mac if that makes sense
1: No, I I kind of agree with you. I don't want to go down like the doomsday sort of scenario uh, because I don't think that's probably going to be accurate. But the reason that I haven't been like super excited about it, even though like in theory, look, in theory on paper, I love the idea of somebody saying, I'm going to give you something that looks like the 12-inch MacBook, uh, but it's going to be running the processor and have speed and maybe more speed in the capabilities of an iPad Pro. Um, And you'll get all-day battery life, but instead of being locked into the iPads ecosystem, you could have access to, you know, a, a real web browser and maybe, you know, uh, some some apps like, you know, like like Final Cut or Logic. Or people could build real web apps for it in a way that you can't for um, uh, iOS, for instance, iPad OS. Uh, I think that that would be interesting and that would be that would be great if I could bring some of those best experiences. However, I don't feel like that's probably going to be the thing that happens because if instead, and and so there are a couple of ways that Apple could go about doing this and we'll we'll presumably find out more at WWDC, but one of the ways would be Creating a way to just basically say to existing developers, okay, you now have a different processor target for your apps, and so you need to recompile them to run on ARM. Now, for a lot of Mac apps, not all of them, and unfortunately, not the big ones, not you know the stuff that people rely on day in day out, you know, your office suites, uh, your uh, stuff like Creative Cloud, um, things like you know Maya uh, and and other stuff from Autodesk. Uh, those things would take more work, but for other types of applications. In theory, the idea would be okay. You're just going to have a different compilation target, and if as long as you update your app, it's going to run on these new things as well, and and will hopefully run just as just as well. So that could be one way of doing things, and and if you can get enough developers on board, I think that you could have a a pretty interesting scenario there. And for consumers, there might be a lot of things to like. Uh, the other thing you can do, which is what Apple did with Rosetta in 2005, uh, when they introduced the Intel Max and in 2006, would be to have a compatibility layer so that you could still run those applications that hadn't been converted and hadn't been compiled for the new instruction set. The problem here, and and Apple could actually be way ahead of the pack, but the problem here is that historically, um, Intel emulation on ARM is not good. And in fact, it's not even really available for 64-bit apps, which is what Apple Is enforcing everyone use. So there are some problems right now with with emulation on uh, emulating the x86 architecture on ARM. But Apple is has some brilliant people. They could get around that. And then the third thing, and the thing that concerns me, would be they could just say, okay, we're going to really only support um, apps that are either released through the App Store. Or, um, it, it, that's basically what they would say, it, it, it's going to be kind of an, I, an iOS model, which means that there will be applications, and if it's in the Mac App Store, you can use it. If it's not, you can't. Yeah. And we will be encouraging developers to just simply port their iOS apps, which in many cases are not as good as the Mac apps. In some cases, they're better, but in many cases, they're not. We're just going to encourage them to focus on the iPad app and or the iPhone app, and, and then you know, that'll work on the Mac, too. So I think that for people like you and I, we we hear this and we're like, oh, man, they're going to get rid of the things that make my Mac a Mac.
2: Yeah. 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 No, I think that's dead on. Um, it, you know, it's... It's like you said, some of the apps are better and some of them are worse. Yeah, you know, Civ 6, if we're talking games, Civ 6 is much better on iOS than it is on the, on the Mac. It just Yeah, it I mean, runs games better. in general, right? Yeah, it's it's a better experience. But I just, I, I it, it kills me to say this, Christina, but I really think, you know, Apple's going to come out there and they're going to, bring Adobe out and they're going to say like, oh, Adobe, we got them on board and they're, they're bringing <laughs> this forward. How many damn years have we been waiting for real for Photoshop, Photoshop. Mm-hmm. to show up on iPad? I mean, how... When I look at the apps that are truly updated and optimized right now for my iMac Pro, I'm, I'm talking Adobe, Autodesk stuff, uh, you know, 3D utilities, this is a pretty old architecture to be honest it's been out for 3 years it's maybe 50% of the stuff that i need and i just think if you're really looking not at what apple says at what their their track record has been of working with autodesk at working with you know all the, the really really big creative software companies over the years it's been a really mixed bag so do they have the power to bring everyone over to arm I think the answer is it would be a very phased in approach, and they could certainly do things like you're saying, like a, tr- a translation layer. But we've we've seen you know abstraction layers how that works on on Windows, and it yep. it it really is it's a problem. It's, it's slow. It's a bad yeah. experience. So, you know, one of the things the report goes into is that this would probably come into uh, lower end Macs first, like uh, cheaper Macs first. Yeah, I could see them doing that, like bringing in different price points. But you're still going to be fragmenting the developer community. So, um, I just I I feel like if I could wave my magic wand and and get a, everything, I would tell Apple to like focus on iPad OS. It's really really good. It's, it's really good. It needs work. Focus on the creative apps and bringing that over. And maybe in 10 years, iPad OS could be you know, strong enough that maybe we don't need Mac OS as much then. But it's just, I, I, I know it's going to happen and I'm going to have to adjust for it. But it's just, it seems like a really big headache.
0: Yeah, I, I I was very much in the camp of oh, I'm a consumer. This will probably just be great for me because it means whatever laptop Ooh. I buy next will have <laughs> great battery. The, yeah, the great battery, right. and just it. If Apple puts out a new laptop, it'll have their latest chip, etc. Um, but then you brought up the Adobe thing, and I was like, oh,
2: no. <laughs> right. right. How about this, so, uh, Simone? You work with Premiere. Uh, the afterburner card that Apple just developed is, by every report I've ever read, unbelievably good, right, uh, for 4K video and things like that. I mean, uh, what's going to be the future for, for, for pieces of technology like that? Like, it's just unknown underarm.
1: It's an unknown. Aww. Yeah. No, I mean, it. it it's weird, right? Because I think that it just – to me, I think my biggest fear that I haven't I, – I, I said this before, but I, I feel – my fear is not that I won't still be able to have a Mac and have an enjoyable experience on the Mac regardless of what it is. I just – my worry is that all the things that I love about the Mac are slowly fading away, and I don't want that to happen, you know? Like, well, that's scary, well, because, I mean, and, and I'm being probably like Pollyanna-ish, but like I, I do have kind of this fear. It's like, okay, you know, you get rid of the Intel stuff and people are like, oh, well, not a big deal. People will recompile. And I'm like, okay, but part of the great thing about having Intel is that if I wanted to, I could run Linux on my Mac or I could run Windows on my Mac or I could yeah. run other things. You know, like I have this sort of freedom to do anything I want on my Mac and that could go away. And that I don't, I don't love, you know, um, e- even though the... Other that's a aspects, very Christina fear. Completely, completely. And I I recognize that for most consumers, that's not a fear and that's not anything. But it's weird because I do feel like a lot of the, not a lot, but some of the people who are so vocally like in favor of this are people who, if this happened, um, the, you know, the, this would affect their use cases and the way they enjoy their machines more than they might expect, if that makes any sense. Mm. Any final thoughts, Bri- Brianna? No,
2: I think that's pretty much it. I I do think that I would really I think I'd really miss boot camp uh, quite a bit, and um, I don't know. I I think you can look at metal and look at Apple's uh, sky high promises of metal and what the reality has been, which again is is very mixed. So you know, here's 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 hoping.
0: <laughs> All right. This episode of Rocket is brought to you by Squarespace. Make your next move with Squarespace. Squarespace lets you easily create a website for your next idea with a unique domain, award-winning templates,
2: and more.
0: Whether you want to create an online store or a portfolio or a blog, Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that lets you do just that. There's nothing to install, no patches to worry about, no upgrades needed. You don't have to worry about it. Squarespace has it covered. They also have award-winning 24-7 customer support if you need any help. And they let you quickly and easily grab a a unique domain name. And all of those award-winning templates are beautifully designed for you to show off your great ideas. I can vouch for the fact that it is pleasurable and easy to use. I've enjoyed building my Squarespace website myself. It always looked just how I wanted it, until I decided that I wanted to make it anew, and I had that power because of Squarespace. Squarespace plans start at just $12 a month, but you can start a trial with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com rocket. When you decide to sign up, use the offer code ROCKET to get 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain and to show your support for us here at Rocket. Once again, that is squarespace.com slash rocket and the code ROCKET. Oh, no, I have to burp to get 10% off your first purchase. Thank you so much, Squarespace, for your support of this show and all of Relay FM. Squarespace, make your next move. Make your next website.
2: (laughs) <laughs> thank you, you know, Batman th- great you know that Squarespace asks for air checks when we do ads no! or anyone does ads so no! they're, they're probably there's some intern the singer listening to all the ad reads every week it's like and they're just okay. laughing and no! then they get to yours and they're
1: like just that's laughing. where all my followers came from <laughs> <laughs> yeah totally I mean you're the best all right, everybody,
0: we have a very exciting segment for you here. We have a special guest, Catherine Trandacosta, who is the lead policy analyst at EFF and a former managing editor at io9. Very qualified to talk about what we're going to talk about, which is Trump's threats against Article 230. That's right. It's an exciting week for us here. Thank you for coming on the show, Catherine.
3: Oh, no problem. Always delighted to talk about. The internet. <laughs> is it in danger? I mean, it's always in danger. So, the internet is a series of tubes, as we all know. <laughs> yes. um, but those tubes are governed by laws, and the two most important are Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act and Section 512 of the Digital Millennium Copyright Act. They both have sort of like a s- similar ish setup. But without them, the internet just kind of stops working the way it always has. And like, were we to completely redesign the internet, we might choose a different internet than the one we have, but it doesn't seem to me that that we're in a world right now where we suddenly want to completely restructure the internet and suddenly have all of the apps that we're using over it stop working the way they're supposed to.
1: So, so can you just give um, the audience a quick overview, just high level of what Section two hundred and thirty of the Communications Decency Act and Section um, um, uh, twelve five five twelve of the DMCA yeah. are?
3: Sure. So they both contain what are sort of what are known as safe harbors. Uh, safe harbors are designed so that the website you're using can't get sued for what the users do. Um otherwise they would never host user content. The liability would be too high. No company's lawyers would let you do it if you could get sued for what any anonymous person online did. Uh, section 230 covers like most things. Section 512. Sorry, so 230 covers things that are that like speakers or publishers would get in trouble for. Um, that's defamation, libel, sort of the whole suite of things that would fall under those. Section 512 of the DMCA works slightly differently. You have more affirmative things you have to do to take advantage of 512. Um, That's the infamous notice and takedown or the three strikes policy. Anytime you see content vanish and it says like due to copyright, that's section 512. And that means that a company that hosts content that users upload can't get hit for copyright infringement, which have pretty huge and insane penalties, like statutory penalties. So what like you intended doesn't matter. And so those two things basically allow companies that let users do things exist. Okay, so,
0: so they're both kind of saying, if you build a playground and then somebody comes and, and, and poops in my sandbox, it's not my fault. I just built the playground. They're
3: doing the bad thing. Yeah, that's that's sort of it. But it's it's a more like a playground has certain like rules, and you you like decide to use them or you don't. So five twelve has sort of affirmative duties you have to do. You have to have a notice and takedown system. Like you have to be able to receive those requests. You have to be able to take things down. You have to be able. It's called the repeat infringer policy. You have to be able to uh, get rid of users if they are repeatedly infringing. There's like things you have to do. Um 230 is a little bit less like that. Um it's not as it doesn't list out so many things you have to do. But the the purpose being to incentivize people to allow to to create things that'll host user content at all. Otherwise, the only way you'd get hurt on the internet is if you had the ability and the money to build your own website. Mm-hmm. Like because only you would care about what you had to say. <sighs>
2: So we've had, um, yeah. I just want to preface this by saying I I truly don't have a strong opinion here. Um, but we've had some pretty smart people on the show. My friend Carrie Goldberg being one of them. She's pretty famous for being outspoken against two thirty. Uh, my friend Danielle Citron, uh, you yeah. know, very very famous lawyer. She is. Uh, she's pretty. Uh, mixed on it. Uh, Marianne Franks uh, at the University of uh, Miami. She's a friend of mine. She's very mixed on this as well. And I think if they were here today, they would, they would say several things. Um, the argument against it tends to be that large tech companies are, are using this as a, a shibboleth to To kind of deny any kind of responsibility for larger community oversight, it's leaving a lot of people without any kind of um, of recourse, legal recourse when people are doing bad, bad things. A really great example Carrie Goldberg goes into is someone that started a grinder account, a jilted ex-boyfriend and right. made post after post after post sending someone to someone's house for for sex. Uh, when he had nothing to do with it. It was an absolute nightmare. And Grindr just simply would not act. I guess my question is, those are some pretty smart people. So why do you think they have come to a different conclusion that the internet can work if we adjust these things? I mean, because I I just don't believe it's all or nothing with this.
3: So I don't think that they've um, necessarily come to a different conclusion. They've decided that the trade-offs are different for them. Mm-hmm. Um, so full disclosure, EFF filed an amicus brief in that Grinder case saying that Grindr was correct in its 230 immunity. And there are sort of two things to, to take into account. The first is that the relatively low bar is kind of the only way you get anything that'll challenge the big tech companies. Because if you actually make affirmative requirements, that is, this goes for both 230 and 512. If you make more affirmative requirements, the bar gets really high, and you're you're just stuck with Facebook because only Facebook can afford to do it because right. hiring content managers, all of those things do like and doing that ethically like compared to how Facebook does it now is expensive, and no one would do it except for the companies who can afford to do it so there's that The other sort of part of that is when you have rules like that it's not actually the bad actors who tend to get punished. Content moderation, which is what what it's called, or platform censorship or any of the other terms for it. Um, And as we saw with the president, you don't, you get, these companies get told they have to do something. And they have rules or they follow the laws and they tend to enforce them really unequally. And those, the people who end up getting targeted tend to actually be marginalized people, people who can't afford to go build their own platform, people who need Twitter, people who need Facebook, who would like to leave but can't. And when you have rules about uh, content management, people who can take their ball and go home or play somewhere else are fine. But it's the people who can't go somewhere else that end up in a lot of trouble.
2: It feels like a real stretch to say, or it, (laughs) I, it just, it feels, it feels Yeah, it feels like a stretch to say, you know, marginalized people need to accept that the the abuses on these platforms are going to continue because they're the most vulnerable. I just I don't feel like that necessarily follows.
3: I think that I don't think that that is true. What I'm saying is changing to 30 would kick them off the platforms entirely, pressuring the companies to be transparent, pressuring the companies to abide by their own rules and apply them and all of those things. Is a different thing than changing 230, because mm-hmm. changing 230 creates a set of like legal principles that people with good lawyers can get around and people with bad without lawyers can't. Mm. Um, I think it's and so. so that's the difference is the difference between pressuring companies to to act correctly versus trying to get Congress, Congress, which in a hearing I saw referred repeatedly to Reddit and HAN as the dark web. <laughs> As with Congress to write right. is is a much more, like, frankly dangerous proposition. They don't really know what they're talking about. And they, they often write these laws in ways that they think are helping but cause harm. SESTA-FOSTA was the yes. very first, was yeah. the biggest blow to Section 230. And it's been a mess. And the people it was quote unquote supposed to help are the Have people who got hurt. Mm-hmm. And so it's not a question of like, these companies are great. They should be allowed to do it. Or people should accept harassment. I've been a woman on the internet my whole life. (laughs) Um, that's like, none of that is true. It's just that changing to 30. Isn't necessarily the mechanism for the change you want.
0: Yeah. I think, I think SESTA-FOSTA is a great example. Um, and for any listeners who are unfamiliar with the the problems with SESTA-FOSTA, it basically pushed sex workers who were doing work safely on the internet back into potentially unsafe situations in real life because they, they could not communicate with each other for safety reasons. They could not advertise online. So many were forced back into doing work on the streets, which they didn't want to do. They wanted the safety of being able to deal with people online. Um, So it sucks. But I think it's, it's also to your point, Bree, it's very frustrating to leave things in it's frustrating to ask the companies to do a better job enforcing when like some of the enforcement they have done is right. taking people off facebook saying men suck
3: <laughs> it <laughs> men, is and men are bad oh no, it's, committed it's a incredibly word crime. <laughs> it's incredibly frustrating like i work on a project where we index and we re- we record what we consider to be some of the worst examples of that that kind of thing um but the, I think what I've really come to in my time on working on internet policy is part of the biggest harm in a lot of these cases is that these companies don't have competition. There's no, there's nowhere for you to go. There's no way to build a better community because no one can afford it anymore. Um, and these companies don't have any reason to be accountable to their users when you can't go anywhere. Um, and I, like 230 was partially designed to not punish people for doing content moderation or for having mm-hmm. harassment policies. It purposely says that if you go in and you say something isn't true or you delete it or you do any of those things, you don't suddenly then become liable for what that person said. Um, so that it, companies would do that. And so it's sort of whether or not they have picked up that baton is like, Whatever these companies are, these companies, but that's why I said, like if we wanted to redesign the internet, we could redesign the internet but like
2: it it just I, seems like, to me if you're saying competition is the answer that also that seems like as as big a boil the ocean strategy as you know let's just. Create a environment where suddenly Facebook has competition because it's, yeah no I, you know, I,
1: I think that's different though, right? because you could you can do things like with antitrust and with with other right. uh, sorts of like that's actually an area where Congress does have a history of being successful when they want to be is is limiting power of of corporations. Now typically Congress doesn't like to do that, but they actually yeah. do have that power, and I think they can have some understanding of that. Like, I I agree with you that it's still as big of a challenge. Like, it's easy to say, open up more competition, but it's uh, difficult to actually do. But at the same time, that's actually something I think that you could argue legislation has been successful at in the past, whereas understanding tech policy is not.
3: And changing 230 doesn't, like, doesn't make those companies more accountable. It makes them less. Like, it's a bizarre way to put it. Um, but if you put hurdles up that only they can clear, that's it. You're done. That's all you have. And I don't think that necessarily makes the internet better. Um, it's not, it's like, it's a really frustrating thing. And I like, I like, this is a joke I say all the time. They quote it to me at work. Cause I always like every time we get a story and I say something like the internet was a <laughs> mistake, the internet, like, yeah, it, it just does things. But the other part of this problem, right. Is like, Thinking that what can fix this problem is tech, is itself agreeing with tech's own assessment of itself Mm -hmm. as perfect and good. And like that you can make it good. Um, And so that's the other problem that comes up when you're dealing with Congress, is they insist that this can be done in a number of situations, some of them in the case of harassment, which I think is a situation in which companies could probably do better. But even if you ask them to do something. What would you ask them to do? Because Facebook hires people in poor countries to read the worst things in the world, like it becomes this huge problem, and like that. And then I think partially that comes down to then maybe Facebook shouldn't be that big. Yeah,
2: um, <laughs> That's like, certainly. It's, it's, I don't think you're going to get any argument for anyone on the yeah, show yeah. that Facebook should I, not be as big. But like the as it knot is, is well, so If I tied. could just finish what I was saying, I mean, do you think there's any way we could? Is there any way you can open them up to additional – like, is there a way you could say, okay, 230 – like, one of the ways you can take down content is if it's against a a company's uh, terms and service, right? Like, they've got their own standards. Trump violates those standards. Theoretically, we could take it down. Is there any way you could give users power in court to, say, if a company is not enforcing their own TOS in a really – um, in a way that's really crossing a line, that they would have legal recourse because that, to me, is the the missing the missing piece of this puzzle. Is there a way to to bring liability into this situation for people that that don't have any other recourse without you know nuking two thirty from orbit? Do you think?
3: I think I think there might be. I think the the problem there's a number of problems. The first is um I don't know if you guys have been following the b- debate over the Earned Act. Mm-mm. Yeah. No. So the Earned Act it. So the Earned Act is a attempt to fix 230 in theory um in which it's it's Senators Graham and Blumenthal. It was originally like we were calling it Graham Blumenthal before it had a title. Um the Earned Act is designed to um Put 230 immunity contingent upon best practices determined by a panel of experts, except that those panel of experts would be under the auspices of the attorney general and the attorney general would have the ability to change any of those recommendations and insert his own. So earn it is designed to incentivize companies to not nuke 230, but to earn 230 immunity by Uh. (laughs) <laughs> abiding by these principles set up by supposed experts. Now, Ooh. there's a number of problems. The least of which is I don't want William Barr deciding what <laughs> he companies should do. And yeah. William and they were the bill doesn't say what those best practices can and can't entail. And William Barr is doesn't like encryption. He doesn't. He thinks oh. it's bad. And so, if the best practice is you can't encrypt. You can't end-to-end encrypt your messages. Right. Then, then what do these companies do? They're not going to give up their 230 immunity because they need it in order to have any business at all. So they don't encrypt your messages. Yeah. And but, like, that's one of the few areas in which Facebook hasn't completely fallen on its face.
0: Yeah, that's nightmarish to me. Like <laughs> Even before the encryption, the idea of, yeah, you can earn your, your immunity go ahead, work really hard to be, (laughs) no, it's gross. Um, In my opinion, having just learned about it, um, (laughs) I wanted to ask how you feel about some of the laws that have been passed in Europe that have made Facebook responsible for things that are posted on it. And whether you think that that will affect how Facebook treats American users um, or, or how it'll affect, I guess, your work moving forward.
3: Uh, we, we do a fair amount of work in Europe, um, I, mainly for me on um, Article 13-17, which is the copyright directive, mm. the, GDP, the GDPR, which is the General Data Protective Regulation, both of which I think are are actually, one I think is a total disaster and one I think <laughs> has been a, a pretty, not, a, not an all-around success, but came from a real desire to do something and I think succeeded in doing something in a way that American legislation hasn't quite caught up to at least not on the federal level. Um, and so I think on the other hand, when the, I think the best comparison is to sort of look at the GDPR. The GDPR is a privacy regulation, but the penalties for breaking it in the EU are really high. Um, if you lose a GDPR, the, um, if you lose uh, a case about the GDPR, a company has to pay over a percentage of its revenue, not its profits. Um, And that's a really big disincentive. On the other hand, the existence of the GDPR hasn't caused companies in the U.S. to suddenly stop gathering data on U.S. citizens, right?
2: Right, right. Um,
3: As long as it's profitable for them to silo off different countries, they're going to do it. That's kind of the worst part of all of this, of everything I work on, is... The like complete vanishing of a public interest internet in service of these corporations.
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, people don't appreciate this. You know, the biggest darknet in the entire world. It's it's not four chan. <laughs> it's uh it's Facebook. Uh, I would say if you define darknet as you know a, a an, an internet space where you can't access it automatically. Like the the vast majority of it is is private. So yeah, definitely.
3: And if you look at countries in which Facebook offered itself for quote-unquote free, that is that it wouldn't count against your data caps, that's been really dangerous. Those yeah. are countries yeah. in which Facebook became the internet because oh, it didn't cost anything. When you hear about Myanmar and those things, those are often countries in which it's called yeah. what's called free free basics, in which Facebook yeah. was free. Like, that's why net neutrality was so important. Like, that <laughs> is that is another aspect of it and and let and I I wish there were easy answers. I so do. It would make I mean I'd be out of a job if there were easy (laughs) answers, but there aren't. And like I I work um way more on the creative end with like on the on the sides of creativity and innovation than I do on the sort of Uh, Section 230 end. And what I see in 512 is it's also incredibly troubling and upsetting and has sort of the same blind spots, but incredibly exaggerated. And if you are looking at 230, 512 has sort of been ahead. Everything related to copyright is about I'd say five years ahead of everything related to any other speech online, Mm. because copyright has a lobby that has billions of dollars. Right. um, And so I wonder all the time what would happen if YouTube hadn't spent $100 million on content ID and spent it instead on, say, harassment. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't matter to them as much as Warner Brothers knocking on their door or Disney knocking on their door. (laughs) Yeah. (sighs) And ah. so if you want to see what it looks like when these companies do make changes based on lobbying or pressure, you can sort of track the copyright fight. And you can sort of see why, as well-intentioned as anything is, those failures are pretty intense.
2: Yeah.
3: Um, filters, Copyright filters only have to figure out if something matches something else. That's all yeah. they have to do. And yeah. they can't do it. And tech companies always want to automate these things. Yes. they they don't yeah, yeah. like.
1: To well, it's admit, expensive.
3: Of course it is. Yeah, it's expensive to have people, and they don't like. And hiring people isn't you getting to build a product and put your name on it. Right, right. It's the same thing with contact tracing. Like you could hire people trained in this, or you could build an app no one's ever used before, <laughs> yeah. or you could pay your taxes. Like there are many things they could have done. Um,
2: <laughs> well, I I just want to say you know we we love DFF. I realize these are very complicated uh, questions. I talked about this on uh, my Twitter this week, but uh, when we closed up my uh, congressional campaign, uh, we had a lot of money left over. And uh, I thought about what would honor our donors the most. And I actually wrote a check to the EFF last week that cost more than my Porsche <laughs> as far <laughs> as a donation. So I I believe in the things you all are doing. Um, this is tough stuff. And like you said, there aren't an easy answers. So thank you for coming on. We appreciate Thank it. Thank you
3: so
0: much. Yep. If you want to find Catherine online, you can follow K underscore Trendacosta on Twitter.
3: Is there any anything else you'd like to plug? Uh, no, but I will say that if you want to get in touch with me via email for my work, if you, especially, by the way, if you've run into anything related to the DMCA, I'm currently working, the DMCA or content ID, I'm currently working on a project to try to, Congress is in the middle of deciding whether the dmca is working but they're evaluating that based on whether big tech or hollywood is happy not based on whether (laughs) users are happy and so i'm working on a project to try to bring those things into congress's eyes Um, so uh, that is katherine k-a-t-h-a-r-i-n-e at eff.org
0: awesome thank you so much this episode of rocket is also brought to you by miro Miro is the online whiteboard that brings teams together. Their infinite canvas is perfect for brainstorming, making mock-ups, organizing files, managing complex projects. They even have templates to get you started quickly. And you can actually host meetings in the same frame as your collaborative whiteboard, which is super handy because it means you can discuss items as you go, which is like the... Biggest pain in the butt of some other s- things that are o- existing because of remote working right now is like, wait, am I sharing this dot Are you sharing this dot No, we're using <laughs> Miro. Um, so that's great. I know there's a lot of a lot of our listeners probably, especially if you work in tech, are experiencing the remote work life right now, as I am. <laughs> um, so <laughs> I can't imagine. Like, just think about the easiness of doing some of that complex brainstorming and just sharing plans with each other that you could do with a collaborative whiteboard. Miro has over 5 million users, and 80% of Fortune 500 companies use Miro. That's a big number. And Miro can integrate with the programs that you already use, like Google Drive, Dropbox, Jira, Slack, and more. Those are literally all programs that I use, with the exception of JIRA. But hey, never say never. Start collaborating for free when you sign up for an account at miro.com slash rocket. That is is slash rocket to sign up for a free account with unlimited team members. What? That's sinking in now. What? Free unlimited team members. Account? miro.com slash rocket what go there now check it out miro.com slash rockets our thanks to miro for their support of rocket and all of relay fm
2: I think we should start planning rocket on Jira just to give you all the skills, Simone.
1: Oh God! We, we should start planning it on Miro. <laughs> you know, I was gonna say we should use Miro. We should whiteboard it on Miro. But, but no, uh, uh, Brie, let's let's not bring, let's not force Simone to use Jira. Let's no, not right. let's not do that to her. I've been you trying to be teach kind it to, to my
2: husband for his job. It's not pretty. So,
1: oh, also, no. <laughs> Atlassian, if you're listening, we are always open for sponsorships. So even though I just like dunked on you you know, call us? Yeah. I don't know.
0: Oh, also, I I do want to mention, Steven, I think, mentioned this on Twitter, but Relay is offering free ad reads for Black-owned companies, and I would love to see that taken advantage of. So if any listeners have a company or if you know someone who has a company that you feel would be a good fit for the show, go to relay.fm slash sponsor, um, and that would be very cool. So we're excited about that. It's time for dessert.
2: Oh, it's so good this week! Oh, it's so it's good this week. It's time for
0: CrossFit Apocalypse, and Brianna, I think is our resident fitness expert. I would love uh-huh. for you also, like you probably know the lingo. So I would love for one of you to introduce me. <laughs> I was
1: going to say I've never done CrossFit in my life. This is all Brie. You can give us the intro to this. I mean, it's hardcore, right? The, so, oh, of course. So
2: I'll just give you a background in CrossFit. So uh, it comes from basically a military tradition. Um, So if you've ever gone to – like when my husband goes to the gym, he will get his iPhone and he will just uh, uh, play Pokemon Go and catch Pokemon the entire hour while pushing on the bike. It may be – Maybe two miles an hour, which is not working out. CrossFit is the opposite of that, where you come in and it's like, go, go, go. And you're doing all the exercises in rotation as fast as possible and you're mixing it up. And it's a lot of weight lifting and it's very, very competitive. And it's been uh, described as a cult by many, many people. Um, you know, uh, every time I've done something like it, I've found it to be really, really, really amazing. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, it's, that's kind of what it is. That said, their CEO is a little bit, uh, controversial. So Simone, do you want to tell us about that?
0: Their CEO has done a racism and has resigned. <laughs> he's
2: bad. He's, but he, but he's it's a not bad just guy. this comment. It's the whole no, history of it. I know. It. I'm saying terrible. like, I'll,
0: I'll, I'll detail what happened in this conversation, but I don't know his history. So oh, I am awful. Oh, so he was asked in an employee call, like, are we, is our company going to make a statement about George Floyd? What are we doing? Um, and he said, what? What? Eh? Um, and then proceeded to be racist and be like, he, he wasn't killed because of his race. I'm a, an idiot. Um, I'm making light of a very terrible situation. Anyway, then people were like, wow, that's a crappy thing to say and fi- I, I guess finally i should say after apparent uh, apparently a long time of being a piece of garbage he has resigned as the ceo of crossfit and yeah so th- this has done it this true this historical moment truly is bringing down <laughs> all of the correct people that's the end of my summary
2: So, I mean, this is a guy who, uh, you know, with J.K. Rowling in the news today, let's just talk about his uh, transgender policy. So they... They like they're like, hey guys, we're updating our transgender policy at CrossFit. And they have it. So they did it by imposing testosterone levels for, for holy quote, female That's competitors. Awful. And he's like, Oh, oh my this god. This is a direct quote from him. We've got no interest in excluding anyone, and this is not my effing issue. My <gasps> issue is blood sugar control. I don't care about you if you're L or G or B or T or Q. I don't to God, I don't care, and so I just want to do this thing that everyone else does. And it's just—it's like every bit of the language that they use is just so unbelievably offensive. He's got a long history of other just terrible comments about about women on racism. Uh, It's not the first time he stepped in it. And the thing that really pushed this, uh, this comment, where he literally, according to CNBC said, I don't think anyone at CrossFit is mourning what's happening right now. No one's mourning it at all. And, you know, what happens, it really crossed a line where even his affiliates are are starting to step down and step away from
1: yeah, and, and and so for people who have not been seeped into the CrossFit lingo, and we're gonna have some fun with that because it's a cult, basically. Uh, <laughs> affiliates are what they use, is is their term for basically like people who own gyms and pay them a licensing fee. Um, also, uh, CrossFit has like caused many people to have health problems and ca- all kinds of other things. And the guy that is taking his place is also trash. So I, for oh. one, am very glad that I never did anything with CrossFit ever. But. Uh, I do think that we should take this time to uh, to talk a little bit about some of the CrossFit terminology, because <laughs> it's just, it's real good.
2: I think my favorite one is A2G, <laughs> to grass. It's yep. just amazing.
0: <laughs> this is the thing, being unfamiliar with CrossFit, this is the thing that made me go, oh, this is a cult. There's just silly, <laughs> silly acronyms for things that in many cases actually seem more difficult to say than just saying the words that the acronym stands yes. for. Yes. And I don't understand it. I am. I'm opening up the page now. Um, so I will find you an example. But if anyone else has.
2: How about pull up? P-U. OK, pull up is two syllables. P-U is two syllables. You're not saving Just time. say pull
1: up. Right. Or if you having to say like H-S-P-U instead of just like handstand push up. Like it's it's like it's hard to remember like what some of these things are like. Do they say these things out loud or do they just text them to each other? I, I like to imagine that they see these, th- they say these things out loud and, you know, and they're Sorry like, Sorry to you gotta do our the CrossFit AT- listeners. <laughs> I <laughs> so mean, you go. got to do the ATG. You got to do the ATG. And yes, to CrossFit listeners, we know that you are not representative of the hor- horrific viewpoints of the founder. Having said that, and I say this with all respect because I'm into plenty of things that people can roast me for and I'm like happy to do it. But like, if you do CrossFit, you're kind of asking to be made fun of the acronyms. Oh. I'm just saying.
0: I'm just saying. B W for body weight. W is so much (laughs) harder to say as a concept than the word weight. W.
2: How about clean? Clean is CLN. It takes so much longer to say CLN than clean.
1: That can't be. That cannot be. It's on the list. It's on the list. Also, also apparently (laughs) there's C and J, which is clean and jerk, and I don't know what that is.
2: It's a weightlifting thing? I know. It sounds like it. Well, well, yeah.
1: yeah. (laughs) See, I'm just saying like – both the acronym and what it stands for could be taken a completely different way. All I'm saying. Do people say CrossFit
0: acronyms out loud with their mouths? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Oh. I'm, I'm sorry. There's no definitive answer, but everyone thinks that they're silly. Sorry. Well,
2: <laughs> if you know a CrossFit cultist, please have them tweet us and let us know. Uh, Christine, I hadn't heard this. Who's taking over? Why are they trash? What's the story there? I had missed uh,
1: this. I, okay. I have to admit, this is mostly from Twitter. I just, when I commented that, like, I commented, and you might have to bleep this, Simone, because I don't know, like, our, our policy on this word. Um, it's not one of the seven deadly words, but anyway. When I commented, by. Um, I was then informed by multiple people in the comments that the person that's taking over has been in the uh, business a long time and has his own kind of problematic history. And so I had to follow that up with a, a, another comment saying, I've just been informed this, so again, bye. <laughs> uh, so I, I, I'm not sure of the details. Is just that people on Twitter have opinions.
2: How How about this? In 2019, he was asked about diversity. And do you know, do you know he did? He just ignored the question, yes. and then walked off stage, like, like hold a Trump.
3: Um, you know. let's wrap oh. this up
0: so that I can turn my fan on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for real Christina,
1: what are you doing this week? Okay, so very exciting news for me. Uh, I was able to get one of the Cyberpunk uh, 2077 uh, limited edition Xbox uh, One Xs. Uh, who who spends $300 on a console six months before the replacement <sighs> comes out? Christina uh, does. I, I do. A, the price was actually really good because for that price, it includes the game and the first DLC. B, the design is awesome amazing. Like it looks so good. So, uh, if you, if you stay tuned into my, my Twitter, when, uh, this episode goes up, um, it should be around the time that it arrives, hopefully knock on wood and, and I will be like, um, Instagramming and showing it off. So my plans this week is to a, uh, you know, get to know my fellow denizens in the Capitol Hill autonomous zone, uh, because we have a flag now and everything. Um, and to, uh, frankly, to play, with my Xbox that <laughs> the game isn't even out. The game won't be out until September. Right. It's, I, I don't need so a one X. Right. I mean, exactly. So they say, we'll see, whatever. I, I just, all I know is that I have a really, really great looking like future, like just cyberpunk, just like dystopic designed Xbox. I actually, I, well, listeners won't be surprised. There's also a controller that they sell separately. it Ugh. comes, with one controller, I was able to get it with my Microsoft discount. We happened to have them in the company store briefly, so I got one of those. But then they also made these controller stands that have charging things, so I got those. And and there's like a, a gamer headset, which actually works with all the consoles. And so I basically got like every... Theme, basically, I've given all the money to this game. And if this game is terrible, oh, it's going to be hilarious. It's not going really to be. But
2: I'm... I know you feel like you're wasting money. I don't think you are. And let me tell you why. Uh, Historically... The consoles like this that come out at the end of the generation, the last revision of it, tend to be the most valuable and the most sought out by collectors. I paid for my SNES revision one oh two. I paid a ridiculous amount of money for that because it's Oh, just, was that the redesigned one? Yeah, the top well, I guess all of it are they top, were loaders, all top loaders. Up, but how it was about smaller. the NES top loader? That's a oh, great yeah, example. Which too. which I had, which I had. So sought after. The PlayStation, I know. the third revision of the PSX, very sought this after. The final version of the PS2, very sought after, uh, much better with heat tolerances and everything. You can't connect the network adapter to it, but that's okay because Resident Evil Met is down anyway. <laughs> so so I, I actually think, you know, you've got a library of games. You're going to want to play it years from now. So I, I actually think this is a smart investment.
1: I mean, it, it, p- pretending that I would ever sell it, but yes, I, I, <laughs> you're not wrong. They, they only made 45,000 of them. I actually missed – I didn't see any of the, the tweets or whatever, and so I I had been so looking forward to this, and I didn't know when it was going to go on pre-order, and the people at Xbox wouldn't tell me. And um, I happened to, like, be up, and I was, like, looking, and then I was like, oh, shoot, the, 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 the pre-order has been up for, like, hours. And I didn't know, and they were almost all completely oh sold gosh. out. And I happened to hit Amazon – at like the perfect time, and because like literally like a minute later they were gone, so I was convinced until the order shipped, and <laughs> I still won't really feel confident until it's in my hands. But until the order shipped, I was like, I'm gonna get canceled, and I'm gonna wind up having to pay five hundred dollars for this stupid thing. Uh, but no, um, it I'm it, it's the the ridiculous part of it is that I have. I, I'm living in switches now and I, I have a 1S that I, I don't play that much and have a PS4. So it's it's superfluous, but the design alone, I'm like oh, it's I had beautiful. to it's beautiful. I had to. Yeah. My one comment is who
0: would have thought Amazon would be the one to cancel you? But um but um bum. Brianna, what are you doing this week?
2: Okay, so uh, continuing to work on porting uh, R60 over to uh, to uh, 64-bit, um, I had two really exciting things that happened for me this week. Hey. Uh, the first is uh, I finally got my gigantic 3D printer up and running. Yay! so I've got this $3,000 awesome 3D printer working in my house right now. We're working on printing all kinds of awesome stuff with it. It's been a nightmare working with Lulzbot to try to get this thing uh, working. It came completely broken uh, and it was as they just sold the company uh, to someone else so you couldn't get parts for it and support. It was an absolute nightmare. The other thing is when uh, we bought our house. It was uh, a, it was a great house in the inside but the yard was a disaster just completely grown over half dead and I actually spent most of today uh planting uh, a ton of rose bushes in oh my, my front yard so I'm gonna oh, have that's so beautiful nice. rose trees and rose flowers like all bright scarlet red when you come up to my house I get to watch that grow
0: I seriously love this for you. I love I your too. Stardew
1: Valley transformation. <laughs> I, I was gonna say, I was like, your animal, you're, you're doing Animal Crossing in real life. I right. love it.
2: Yeah, and I swear, after you like lower a hill, you'll be like, man, Tom Nook needs to charge a lot more money.
1: know. <laughs> don't it's tell it's him. Terrible
2: doing it. Oh, yeah, gosh.
1: seriously, don't tell him. He'll 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 <laughs> ch- you know you know he'll charge more. <sighs>
0: Uh, what am I doing? I'm not honestly, I'm not doing anything this week because um, I'm working very hard on our Quibi show and I'm very tired. But I have been practicing roller skating because I got oh. a pair of roller blades. So I'm oh, trying nice. to learn how to stop by doing many figure eights in front of my apartment. So if you see somebody oh. waving their arms around, looking like they're so- confused that's You're
1: getting the full 90s experience. Oh yeah. No, I totally, I love this. So when I learned to rollerblade when I was a kid and I would not be able to do it now, I would have to relearn or whatever. Like, you know, we had um, a driveway and a yard and like a neighborhood and like, you know, places where if, you know, I I could go and and kind of get around. And a body made Um, of jelly with bones that would knit. Yes, precisely. But, but, but beyond that, like, you know, I, when I think about New York, like, I don't know exactly what neighborhood you're in, but like, I just think like where my apartment was, like, I wouldn't really, I didn't have a lot of places where I could go to like, you know, practice, um, either rollerblading or I've actually had this thought a lot. Like, uh, I, I want to get one of those electric scooters, but even in Seattle, like, I don't know where I would go to like mm. practice. So I don't die.
0: I guess the bright side of Seattle is that there are parking lots where you could go like in non-busy hours to practice potentially. Um, For rollerblading, the sidewalk outside my house is relatively flat and wide. Um, And then I went over to like West End Avenue area because there's never many cars down there. So and also there's a pedestrian zone right now. However, I'm not going there because I don't want to run anyone over. Um, so I've just been going on any, like, wide, flat sidewalk and kind of just doing figure eights and trying to get the hang of, like, doing a turn to stop. Uh, it's fun. It's very difficult, but it's fun.
2: So to get the full 90s experience, this is what I need you to do. Mm. Um, you need to you need to listen to Veruca Salt, uh, <laughs> preferably on an iPod, which I know is a little bit later technology, but we'll allow it. Uh, you need to wear a bucket hat and a vest as a top. Yeah, and yeah. you're right. You add all that together. And you'll be transported back to a time where the United States was functional and it was
0: yes. great. Yes, I will work it, very it was, hard <laughs> on obtaining these items for you, Brie.
1: Also the music fantastic and it's funny because it will sound like your youth because you just have to listen to like the bands from Seattle. Like
0: <laughs> All right, Christina, where can we find you online?
1: Uh, You can find me and all of my cyberpunkness at uh, film underscore girl on Twitter and Instagram. And you can find the videos that I do for work at youtube.com slash Microsoft Developer. And Brianna, what about
0: you?
2: Brianna, well.
0: Nice. And you can find me on Twitter at DoomCoyser and at youtube.com slash Polygon. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Uh, Please do rate and review i literally forgot like wait what do i ask them for oh yeah ratings in apple podcasts we super appreciate that it helps other people find the show uh and it is a good way of just letting us know if we do a good job uh hey so thank you so much for listening this episode of rocket is terminated terminated
1: terminated terminated